All right, so today we are finishing the series we call Conversations with Jesus, and we've looked at um, a whole bunch of different conversations. But before we get there, I just want to kind of take us back for a minute. Um, the last two years have really been tough. They've been tough for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. And um, what I've said to you on multiple occasions is when times get tough, we got to do what God's people have always done for centuries and generations, and that is when times get tough, we got to get deeper. And that's what this series has been born out of, really, is the idea that how is it that we get deeper? Well, We've been zeroing in on people who Jesus had a conversation with while he was on earth. And no surprise, when Jesus has a direct conversation with somebody, it gets deep. Like, it gets deep, and it gets real, and he uncovers a lot of stuff. And that's what this whole series has been about. And so today we're going to end when um, Jesus had a conversation with Simon Peter. Now, we've already looked at one on Good Friday, but he had several and uh, we're going we're gonna to stop there today. So um, I want you to just kind of get your mind around who Simon Peter was in case you don't know much about him. If Simon Peter were alive today, his name would probably be Ken. Now, if that doesn't ring a bell for you, let's pretend for a minute that some of you know where I'm at. Let's pretend for a minute that Simon Peter was a female, then his name would be Karen. Anybody, anybody, does that ring any bells? If it doesn't, Google it, and it, it'll, it'll help you there. So um, Simon Peter is sometimes this impulsive, demanding, loud. Some of you are explaining it to your friends, and that's okay. That's good. So that's who Simon Peter is. He's kind of triggered. You know what I mean? He's geared pretty high. Well, in this conversation, this is the third time Jesus has appeared to somebody in his resurrected body. In other words, he died on the cross, he's resurrected, he came back. This is the third time, and he appears to um, Simon Peter and some of the disciples who are out in a boat, and they're fishing all night, and Jesus is on shore there. And uh, when somebody in the boat recognizes who he is, they go, oh, wait a minute. You're like, is that a ghost? Who is that walking over there? And then somebody says, it's, it's Jesus. And when Simon Peter hears that, Karen jumps overboard and swims straight to the shore. See what I mean? He just mo motorboats straight in. He's not going to wait for the boat to hit shore. He's going to outswim them and, you know, get there first. And so Jesus had made breakfast on the shore, and that's where we catch this conversation with Simon Peter. What I want to do before we get to the conversation is I want to share with you kind of as we go through it, a few things we learn, three, at least three things. There's a lot more. We just can't get to all of them. Number one, the path to your future is through your past. So here's what's interesting. Jesus is making breakfast with a, around a charcoal fire. Now, the reason that that matters is because there's only two places in the entire New Testament that we find a charcoal fire. One is at breakfast where Jesus and, and Simon Peter are about to have this conversation. The other one was a few days earlier when Simon Peter was warming his hands over a charcoal fire and he denied knowing Jesus three times. So Jesus is walking him back to that moment. The other thing that's interesting about this is um, Jesus in this conversation asked Simon Peter three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Simon Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. So those aren't coincidences. 
Jesus is walking him back through his past. Now, all of us have parts of our life and our past that have to be undone. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Most of you know that uh, many years ago, I was pastoring a church two miles from the Gulf of Mexico when Hurricane Katrina hit. And man, it just blew the community apart. And we spent years rebuilding. And uh, a church, as a gift to us, sent a counselor to our church to just work with our um, staff and our board and some of our key leaders. And when it was all over, she had met with everybody and done her evaluation. I asked her a question and I said, okay, you know, how are we? What's going on? How long is this going to take? Because we, we got to get going, you know. And she said, um, I'm amazed by one thing. I've never forgot what she said. And I found it to be so true. She said, I'm amazed by one thing. So what is that? How disconnected all of you are from what you're experiencing today and what happened to you back there. I'm just, I'm just amazed. I said, all of us? She said, yes, you. You too. All of you aren't connecting what's happening to you today with what you went through. Like it's completely isolated. And because I've experienced it, and because I've observed people for a long time, I've come to believe that we people, we humans, are not good at connecting what we're going through today, what we're experiencing today, what we're feeling today, the, the challenges of today with what we went through in the past. And so that's what Jesus is doing here for the, for the Apostle Peter. He's helping him go back to go forward, if that makes sense, to go to the past, to go to the future. And I think one of the reasons we're not good at it is because we tend to look at the external instead of the internal. So after Hurricane Katrina, we would have people that would come to our community uh, from other states or whatever to help recover. And there came a point where they would come and they go, man, everything looks good. I mean, this looks as good as our city. This looks as good as our town. I mean, restaurants are open. This is happening. You know, the school's back open. They rebuild that. Man, this looks fine. Why do you need help? And they were measuring how well we were doing by the external things they could see, not by the internal thing. And we said, you don't, you don't understand. And we didn't understand, so we didn't know how to explain it. So all we say is, you don't, but you don't understand. Like, we're not, we're not back. We're not recovered. We mistake survival for recovery. We think just because we get to the end of something, we're okay. We, we also mistake external recovery for internal recovery. By the way, that is a huge, please hear this, that is a huge temptation that we're all facing right now. The temptation that, well, COVID's over. I mean, I can't remember the last time I seen anybody that was sick. You know, we're all, we're all doing good now. Everything's open. We're back to normal. And most of us are not connecting the dots between the present experience and the past reality. And so we, we answer, how are we, by external measurements. And we really, when we do that, we have no idea. So we say things like this. Well, sales are up. The budget's holding. Our business is growing. I got a promotion at work. Our company's stable. I graduated high school. I got good grades. I finished my degree. I went to a concert. Nobody had a mask on. Man, we're doing good. Our whole family got to be together for Easter. We must be doing great. And we tend to measure how we're doing by the external. Did you know that in August of 2020, now I know that goes back a little bit, 
25% of all young adults contemplated suicide. A quarter contemplated suicide. What is that? What, what kind of measurement is that? That's internal, it's not external. It looks at a different question. So we have to ask internal questions to understand how we're doing like this. How's your health? Man, I can tell you, after Hurricane Katrina, people ran on adrenaline for so long to get everything back the way it was that when the pressure started to recede, man, people had heart attacks, they had strokes, there was addiction, there was suicide, there was divorce, crazy things. And it was, um, this, it was unsettling because people looked around and said, wait a minute, what, do you, what you've been working on all this time has finally happened, it's all back together, why are you falling apart? So you have to ask different questions. How's your health? How are you sleeping? What's your present anxiety level? How's your thought life? How are you doing emotionally? Is there, are there, is there stress in your relationships? Unusual, undefinable, not sure where it's coming from? Can you identify where you are spiritually? Have you slowed down to reflect on what you've been through? In the last two years, what have you lost? Have you ever thought about? Have you added it up? What have you lost? It's so um, counterintuitive. The way that we get through crisis is push. Put our head down, get up every day. Sometimes go seven days a week and just push. That's the way we get through crisis. And by the way, it works. That is not the way we recover. The way we recover is slow down and stop pushing. And instead of pushing forward, start looking backward. And when you've been pushing on adrenaline for a while, it becomes counterintuitive to say, I've got to slow down and start to look backward. I've got, to, I've got to unpack what's happened. The path to your future is through your past. Now, what was Peter's past? <laughs> it was a gigantic failure. He denied Jesus three times. He lost the right to be a disciple, let alone an apostle. And the third time was especially bad. Listen to the third time he denied Jesus. He said he began to call down curses. He began to call down curses. I'm telling you, I don't know the blankety-blank man. He called down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Now, I want you to try to put yourself in his shoes for a moment or in Jesus' shoes for a moment. If you had a friend, if you had a mentor, if you had a person who meant everything to you and rescued you and saved you and changed your life, and you abandoned him on his deathbed, how would you ever forgive yourself? How would you ever recover from that? And then you call down curses to prove it. The betrayal, the failure, when the emotions drained away, Simon Peter had to think, I'm no disciple. I don't belong here. I'm a fake. I'm a phony. Did I ever mean any of it? Was any of it ever really true? Man, it must have been so imbalancing for him. 
Jesus gently walks Simon Peter through the events of the past. Why? Because the path to your future is through your past. Here's the second thing we learn. You must discover your false identity. You must discover your false identity. Every one of us are born and shaped and raised with a false identity. Because we're all born not knowing who we are. Internally, we don't know who we are. So, ex- so we look for external markers to define us and help us understand who we are. And we all form a false identity that is somebody, in, in the truest sense of the word, it's not who we are, it's not who God defined us to be. And so false identities can come from family approval. Who are you? I'm the one that, you know, never got in trouble and I did what my parents said and whatever. You know, I became what my family wanted me to become. And, and look, we, we spend years trying to discover this. Here's a big one for the American culture, individual achievement. I, have you seen my trophies? Have you seen my awards? Have you seen my promotion? Man, every, every time you have a sports conversation, there's one thought that's going to come up. Who's the goat? Right? I talk about it all the time. Who's the goat? Because we want to know who has achieved the most. And identity is then built around achievement. What I've been able to accomplish, what I've been able to do. I'm the homecoming queen. I was the quarterback. I'm whatever. It's around achievement. Sometimes we build our, um, our identity around race. This is who I am. Around gender. This is who I am. Lately, a lot of us have been building our identity around causes. Man, I will give my life for this cause. That's who I am. And man, some of us have even been building our identity around politics. I, I'm, I'm, I'm conservative. I'm liberal. I'm, I'm this. I'm that. This is who I am. This is my identity. And by the way, that's one of the reasons we're having so much conflict. Because when somebody steps on your false identity, you become defensive, you shut them out, you refuse to listen to them, you won't learn anything from them, and you probably even lash out. That's what Simon Peter did. When somebody stepped on his identity, what did he do? They said, we're taking Jesus to the cross to kill him. He said, no, you're not. He took his sword out and he cut his ear off. Why? You can't mess with my identity. I've already defined myself, this is who I am, and you can't mess with that. Now, here's what I want to say, because I think we misunderstand this part. Don't make the mistake of thinking, well, I'm a Christian, none of this applies to me. You can live your entire life as a Christian on a false identity. Let, let Let me go further. You can live your entire life as a Christian and go to heaven and still your foundation is a false identity. If the apostle Peter could walk with Jesus for years and still have a false identity after Jesus has come back from the dead, you can too. So so don't let's let's uncover that right away. So what was what was Simon Peter's false identity? It was this. 
He based his identity on being a better disciple than the other disciples. I can run faster. I can get more done. I'm more aggressive. When other people wait, I jump. You know, they were coming to get Jesus. I cut his ear off. I just cut his ear off. It's not going to happen. Not on my watch. Right? Simon Peter built his identity on his own effort. He built his identity on his own love for God. And he falsely believed, if I can just love Jesus enough, watch, I can save myself. If I love Jesus enough, I can save myself. He had a false identity. He thought he was more faithful than the other disciples. And let me give you a little bit of evidence, okay, from Matthew 26. This happened before Jesus was uh, crucified. But Jesus was beginning to warn his disciples that, hey, things are going to get worse before they get better. <laughs> I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be sent to the cross. I'm going to be crucified. He's, he's, trying to, he's trying to teach them. He's trying to bring them along and show them what's going to happen. And as he's talking about all that, he's saying, and by the way, when that happens, y'all are all going to scatter. And Simon Peter's not having it. Why? Because it threatened his identity. Watch. Watch what he says in Matthew 26, 33. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. What is he saying? I'm the best disciple. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. Jesus said, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. To which Simon Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Even if I have to die, what is he saying? I'm a better disciple than the other disciples. Even if I have to die, I'll never disown you. So watch, watch, watch. So where does Jesus start the conversation at breakfast on the beach after resurrection? Where does he start it? Here's the first question he asked. John 21, 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? These what? These who? Do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Because that's, what you, that's the assumption you've been working off of. Do you love me more than the... Are you the best disciple? Now are you the best disciple? Now that you've denied me three times, now that you call curses down, now that you disowned me, are, you still think you're the best disciple? Now, this was not Jesus' attempt to humiliate Simon Peter. He wasn't trying to shame him. He wasn't trying to punish him. What he was doing is he was gently uncovering his false identity. And he was saying, you've been building your whole, you've been building our relationship on your effort. You've been building, our, you've been cutting the soldier's ear off. You've been calling curses. You've been doing all the stuff. But now, let me just expose for a minute what your false identity, where your false identity is taking you. You've been building it on work and effort and you think if you just love me enough, that's going to save you. And li listen to what Simon Peter says. Second half of the verse, he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Now, here's what I love about what Simon Peter did right. He, he didn't blame. He didn't pass blame off and go, Well, I mean, I wasn't going to do it, but John put me up to it. You know, he, he, he didn't, or you think I'm bad, you should have seen what Judas did. You know, he, he didn't do any of that. 
He didn't say, what do you mean do I love you? You kidding? When we saw you, I jumped out of the boat swimmer. The rest of those slackers, they just rode around in the boat for a while. Of course I love you more than everybody else. That was all that was over. Because Simon Peter's finally starting to catch on. There's something fundamentally wrong with my identity. I've built my identity. I've been following you all these years, but yet I've built my identity on my own effort. And that's not going to get it. And so what does he do? He appeals to Jesus' knowledge. He says, you know I love you. What else, what else can I say? I'm wrong. I did wrong. I did bad. I failed. But you know I love you. Now let's pick up the conversation. Verse 16, again Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Second time, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. It's starting to hurt. It's just starting to hurt. You know the thing about when somebody takes a knife out? That one instrument can be used to heal you or to hurt you. And it all comes down to whose hand it's in. Do you trust whose hand it's in? And Jesus was taking the knife out not to shame or harm, but to cut away. And to say, hey, Simon, you got this cancer growing on you. You got this problem growing on you. I want to I cut this out. I want to remove it. You're going to be so much better off once we get this removed. So, so he asked him the third time, he's hurt. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep three times. Once for every denial. And he's not doing it to condemn him. He's not doing it to say, okay, you're not just going to walk in here and pretend like nothing happened. You denied me three times, doggone it. I'm going to make you hear this three times because I want you to hurt so bad that you'll never do this again. That's not what it's about. Look, here's what it's about. Third point. You must build your new identity on God's love. That's what the whole conversation is about. It's about uncovering what Simon Peter had built his foundation on and then shifting that to a new foundation and saying, let's build it on love now. It's uncovering that false, false identity, shifting from works to love. Now, when I was a, um, a youth pastor early in ministry, I didn't know what to call it, but I noticed this pattern in myself uh, that I didn't know, I didn't think it was good. But when I first started the first couple years of ministry, you know, when we'd have a good event or we'd have a good youth service or we'd have whatever, things went well, a lot of people came, whatever, people, whatever it was, I would notice, man, I'd, I'd go home feeling so good and the next day I'd feel so good and I'd get up the next day with energy and be ready to go, you know. And then there were the other times. <laughs> When things didn't go well, you know, and nothing worked out, and some people couldn't be there, and half of them missed, and, you know, whatever. Whatever happened, things went wrong, and I would notice, man, I'd, just, I'd have no energy the next day. I'd be tired. I'd be worn out. I'd be drained, and I'd think, man, I just feel bad. I feel so bad. And God was gracious enough to me to put somebody in my life that could give me a teaching, even though I didn't know what to call it. You're basing your identity on how good you do for God, on your performance. So when things go well, 
you, you, you feel better because you think God loves you more. When things go bad, you feel bad because you think maybe God loves you less. Or when you do bad, or when you fail, or when you sin, or when you do something really good for God, you feel really awesome. And I remember that awareness, and I remember the shift that started, and I thought, I can't, if I'm going to do ministry for my whole life, I can't do it like this. I can't go home when something goes bad and be thinking, man, that's, I'm terrible, this is terrible. You know, i got to work harder to get God's love churned back up. But that's kind of what we do. That's what the Apostle Peter did. I really identify with him. And so I begin to shift my identity. And when I learned, and when I mean learned, I mean when I got it deep in my soul, that on my best day, God doesn't love me one ounce more because he already loves me as much as he can love me, which is unlimited. And on my worst day, God doesn't love me any less. It freed me from having to run and do better and perform and earn and whatever. And it allowed me to move from God's love, not from an attempt to try to earn God's love. Where a lot of Christians live. Because that's when you mix Christianity with American culture, what you get is performance. That's what you get. And that's a prevalent thing in our society, but I'm so glad that God was good to me and helped me. Now, Simon Peter had based his identity on his own courage, his ability to work hard, and God's love seemed like a reward to him that he earned if he did good enough, you know. But here's the thing. Here's the turning point. When Jesus asked him, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, what he was doing is unearthing Simon Peter's true heart and identity. And he was saying, now you see your sin. Now you see your own heart. Now you see, now you see what you really are in your own identity. And then here's what he said. This is the crazy part. He goes, now feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. What is, what is he saying to him? What does it mean, do you love me, feed my sheep? Do you love me, feed my lambs? Do you love me? What does that, what does that mean? It means that Jesus had taken Simon Peter through his past so that he could send him into his future built on love, not built on works. And so he was saying, now, now, now pass it on. <laughs> now do for others what I've done for you. Help them. And who better to help them than the person who's seen the true brokenness of their own heart and has been redeemed and shifted by the grace and love of God and set free from all of that performance stuff? Who better to do it than him? Isn't that right? So, so watch this. 30 years after this conversation, Simon Peter is still serving Jesus and feeding the sheep. In 1 Peter chapter 5, I just want to read you a few, couple of verses that he wrote to some of the other elders, to some of the other leaders of the church. And I want you to, now, now you know who Karen was. <laughs> And now you know what he's been through. And now you know his identity's been uprooted from, you know, what it was built on to God's love. See if you can hear it resonate in his voice now. Verse 2, he said, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. 
watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Can I just tell you, he got the message. (laughs) He got it and lived it. Do you know what your false identity is? Like it could be anything. Do you know what it is? If you don't know what your false identity is or was, you have a very small chance of ever uprooting it and shifting it to God's love. Because you'll be working hard or straining or striving or whatever else, thinking, man, I'm serving God good. You know, I read my Bible every day this week, or I, I tithe, or you know, I, whatever, whatever the things are. Man, I shared my faith. I'm, I'm doing good for, I'm spiritual. And you'll think, you'll so think that you've got your feet on the foundation of love. Just because you're doing spiritual stuff or whatever, going to church, watching online, But if you don't know what your false identity is, you won't be able to uproot it and shift it to God's love, which is what all of our true identity is built on. We don't find our true identity till we find God's love. Can I tell you, God's love will transform any heart. It will absolutely shift and transform any heart in any life would you stand with me this morning I'm going to ask those of you who are going to be baptized in a few minutes if you'll go ahead and be dismissed so you can prepare and for the rest of us here if you're online today if you need prayer our prayer team's live and they're waiting to pray for you they'd love to pray for you we encourage you just to jump over in the comment section and say hey I need prayer today need prayer today. Jesus said, come unto me all that you, all you that are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Grace sets you free from spiritual works so that you might love because you've been loved, not because you're trying to earn anything. Would you just close your eyes with me and let's pray. Lord, I, I pray today that you would soak us in your love. I pray today that we would know the love of God that surpasses (laughs) all height and depth and width and demons and angels and the past and the future. God, I pray today that you'd help us to shift our identity from how we were raised or what it was formed on, externals, to the greatest internal truth, and that is your love. Lord, as we sing, as we lift our voice, as we hear each other sing, I pray now that we would hear your voice. So God, I'm asking you to open our ears and open our eyes and open our heart that we might hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Let's sing this song together.
worship him. Open your heart.